At Cornerstone Church, over the last number of months, we've been working through the first chapter of the first letter of Peter. And we've come all the way to the kind of the final verses of the first chapter, verses 22 through 25. And they read like this. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. As I mentioned, at Cornerstone, we've been working through this first chapter, and one of the things that has been most apparent so far is that the Apostles' writing to congregations of believers dwelling upon enemy territory, so to speak. He's writing to churches who are living within hostile cultures. He's writing to children of God needing to prepare to suffer various trials. And considering these circumstances, we would naturally expect to draw back, to put our defenses up, and to hunker down, in a sense, until the storm passes. However, the Apostle Peter has a different game plan for the people of God as they face the gathering storm. We get more and more of this game plan as you read more and more of the letter. For example, in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, the apostle identifies the church with these words, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are to be a proclaiming people, proclaiming the excellencies of our God, proclaiming the excellence of his salvation. Later on in chapter 3, Verses 14 and 15, the Apostle encourages us with these words. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in you. Do it with, with gentleness and respect. So despite any hostility, persecution, 
the real prospect that we're going to suffer, we're to be ready to defend the gospel, to give a reason for the hope we have in Christ. So needless to say, despite any distressing circumstances, the Apostle Peter doesn't give us any excuses to pack it in, close up shop, to go run and hide. Rather, he calls us out. He calls us at this difficult season to be prepared to step forward and to shine forth with the love and truth of our God. As we look at 1 Peter 1, verses 22 through 25 this morning, we want to see how the Apostle Peter explains how we're to answer this call. What are the necessities of a faithful witness? We want to see how he points to the necessity of love, the necessity of the new birth, and the necessity of the word. These three, the word, the new birth, and our love of one another are essential to our witness to the world, our proclamation and defense of the gospel. In these verses, the Apostle Peter very much gives us, in a sense, a philosophy of ministry, of how the church is to, to minister, to, to stand within a dark and depressed culture. Love must be central. The new birth must be central. The word must be central. And these Aspects. Each of these aspects are ne necessarily connected to each other. You don't have one without the other two. Very much the centrality of love is, is the centrality of the word, as we hopefully will see. So let's turn now and hear from our God through the words of his apostle how love must be central. The new birth must be central, and the word must be central. If you have not already, I invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 22. But I, I must warn you, we won't get there right away, but I assure you we will. So sit tight. We want to see, first of all, how our love of one another is fundamental to our witness. Our love of one another is fundamental to our witness. As we think about our witness to the world, love must be central. But when I say love, I don't mean some sort of secular, sentimental kind of love. But rather, the love that is going to win the nations and win our neighbors is divine love. It's the love that Christ has for the church, the love the Father has for the Son. It's this love that is, that is the engine and evidence of our witness in this world, the engine and evidence of our proclamation and defense of the gospel. Jesus says to us in John, the gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 9, as the, 
as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Do you see? We are to, to abide. We are to trust. We are to rest in the love that Christ has for us. And this love with which Christ has loved us is the same love with which the Father has loved the Son. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Later on in that same chapter, in verse 12, Jesus says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you love one another as I have loved you. You see, the, the love that Christ has for his church, which remembers the love that the Father has for the Son, is to be the love with which we love one another. You see, that's why we say when we consider how our love of one another is fundamental to our witness to the world, we say this with an understanding that we're not talking about some sort of man-centered, earthly love, some sort of love that derives from us. Rather, we're talking about a heavenly, holy love, the love that Christ has for his church, the love the Father has for the Son. It's this divine love first demonstrated through Christ and then shared amongst us that is to be the context, so to speak, of our witness, to be the context of our proclamation, our defense of the gospel. You go back to John chapter 13 this time, and Jesus speaks of this in chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And then he says this, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do you see the, the love that God has for us in Christ? The love we share amongst each other is to not only be the engine of our witness, what drives us to share the good news with others, but is also the evidence of our witness. When it's, in the sense, what authenticates, verifies our proclamation, our defense of the gospel. It's in this way that our love of one another is fundamental to our witness. As God's people, the church, our love of one another is to be a, a living, ongoing, incarnated illustration of God's love for us. It's to, in a sense, like I said, verify what we proclaim, what we defend. If we go back to John one more time, in John 17, as part of Jesus' high priestly prayer. So he's praying here and he says, I and you and you and me, that 
they may be perfectly one as we are, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Do you see the, the unity of the Father and the Son, the love shared between the Father and the Son is to be experienced and expressed amongst us so that, so that the world may know that the Father sent the Son and that he loved us even as the Father loved the Son. You may be sitting there wondering, why is this important? I thought we were in Peter. What's, what's going on? This is important because it, it lays the theological foundation for what Peter says to us in verse 22 of 1 Peter when he speaks of a sincere brotherly love, when he instructs us to love one another earnestly. Once again, this is no man-centered, earthly love, but it's to be a a God-centered love, the love Christ has for his church, the love the Father has for the Son. Another reason why Peter stresses so the need for us to practice a, a sincere brotherly love, a, a, an earnest love of one another, is because love is the pinnacle of righteousness. Love is the pinnacle of righteousness. Not only a, a love of God, of course, but also a love of our neighbor, a love of one another. So love, we have a vertical love, of, a love of God, but also that must necessarily be a horizontal love, a love of our neighbor. And we don't have one without the other. So this love is not some sort of add-on for God. Some sort of bonus consequence of knowing him. But it is to be our primary goal. Love is the enduring goal of the child of God. Jesus speaks of the primacy of love in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, when he says... You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And the Apostle John speaks of the necessity of our our vertical love being necessarily horizontal when he speaks in 1 John 4.20. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother who he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And then, of course, the Apostle Paul speaks of the essential and enduring nature of Christian love in 1 Corinthians 13. You 
probably have read and heard that passage where he goes through a number of things and I could be this, I could do that. But if I don't have love, I have nothing. I gain nothing without love. And then at the beginning of verse 8 of that chapter, he says, love never ends. And then in verse 13, he, he stresses the primacy of love when he says, these three abide faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So it's quite clear. The, the, the Bible makes quite clear the primacy of love, our love for God and our love for one another. And that this love is fundamental to our witness. See, this is what we need to have in mind, have, have before us when we come to 1 Peter verse 22, when he says to us, having purified your souls by your obedience through the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Do you know this love this morning? This morning, do you know God's sincere, earnest love for sinners in Christ? Are we practicing this most exalted, most humble love amongst us? Are we recognizing how fundamental it is to our witness to the world? Our love, one, our love of one another is fundamental to our witness. Let's turn now and see next how Christian love, this love that is fundamental, flows from a new heart flows from a new heart. If we turn back to verse 22 and 1 Peter 1 again, once again, we see that the Apostle Peter identifies a sincere, brotherly love, us loving one another as coming from souls or lives that have been purified by obedience to the truth. From Hearts that are pure. Do you see that? Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So divine love flows out of purified souls, purified lives. It Divine love flows out of pure hearts. Recognizing and confirming this, we are confronted with the question, what is the origin of such purification of life and heart? Where does it come from? How does it happen? We look at the passage and we can see seemingly Two possibilities, which I'm going to argue are, in fact, one and the same. We look, first of all, at verse 22 and see that the Apostle Peter uses this phrase, by your obedience to the truth, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. 
And at first glance, it appears that the Apostle Peter is saying that pure, the purification of your soul souls originates with your own obedience. Is that right? Does, is that where purification of your soul comes from, your own obedience? Well, let's just hold on to that as a, as a possibility, and we'll come back to it. But the second possibility we find at the beginning of verse 23, when the apostle reasons, since you have been born again. Since you have been born again. Do you see that? Now, the new birth is certainly a better candidate for the origin of purified souls, pure hearts. Nevertheless, even if that's our answer, we're still confronted with the question, how do we reconcile by your obedience to the truth and since you've been born again? How do those relate to one another? So considering this, we must understand that when the Apostle Peter speaks of your obedience to the truth, purifying your souls, that he's not speaking solely, or, or uh, so, yes, solely of your obedience to the truth of God's commands, to the truth of God's law. Now, why do I say that? I say that because the obedience to the truth of God's commands, to the truth of God's law, has never been able to purify a human soul, has never been able to purify a human heart. So when the Apostle Peter speaks of your obedience to the truth purifying your soul, he must be speaking of something else. But what? What is he speaking of? I believe that when Peter uses truth here, your obedience to the truth, he's speaking specifically of the truth of the gospel. It is the truth of the gospel, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that alone has the power to bring a rebellious sinner to begin to truly obey God. And it is this obedience brought about by Christ living for us, dying for us, and rising for us. It's this obedience that alone can purify a human soul, a human life. I believe that the Apostle Paul, you know, over in Romans 6, is speaking of the same thing. When he refers to believers being crucified with Christ. Or, when he, or being brought from death to life in Christ Jesus. So Paul's speaking about the truth of the gospel, right? The, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And how that relates to us. We're crucified with him. We're brought from death to life in him. And then he says this. He rejoices in verse 17. And he says... Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. So it's this obedience 
from the heart, brought about from the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the obedience, which I believe the Apostle Peter speaking of in verse 22, that purifies our souls. You see, when we come to verse 22 of 1 Peter chapter 1, and we hear obedience, let us understand that he's speaking of new birth obedience. New birth obedience. And that's why I say these two possibilities were, in fact, one and the same. Since you were born again, and your obedience to the truth, it's speaking of the same thing. It is the obedience that comes from being given a new heart. So the Apostle Peter's teaching us that it's the new birth and it's accompanying obedience from the heart, brought about by the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that truly purifies our souls, our lives, gives us pure hearts. And it's such purified souls, such pure hearts, that are created for a sincere brotherly love. It's such hearts, such souls, that are instructed to love one another earnestly. Do you see, Christian love finds its origin in the new birth. In the new birth, rooted in the life, to the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Therefore, this is why we say Christian love flows from the new heart. Let no one leave here this morning thinking that God wants you to try to make bricks with your own straw. That is, that he, he wants you to try to obey him with, with your own resources and your own strength. No. Let no one leave here this morning thinking that God ever attended you, us to try to scrub our own souls clean. That it's up to us to purify them. Brothers and sisters, that's why Christ came. He came. He lived. He died. He rose to give us a new heart. A heart that rejoices with God's commands. A heart and life that is pure and has been purified with his very own blood. So Christian love flows from a new heart. So he's seen how our love of one another is fundamental to our witness. The Christian love flows from a new heart. Let us lastly turn and see briefly how Christian love, new birth obedience, finds its origin in the word. It finds its source in the word. So far, we've seen how Christian love, the love that Christ has for his church, the love of the Father for the Son, comes from purified souls, pure hearts. And these purified souls, pure, pure hearts, find their origin in the new birth, when a sinner is brought from death to life and begins to obey God from the heart. And all this is because of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ.
Yet we, we must still ask, how does the new birth happen? Or we could put it like this. What bridges, so to speak, Christ's redemptive work in history, him living, him dying, him rising so long ago, what bridges that to you, the, the re rebirth, the renewal of your own heart this morning? What bridges the two? Because everything flows from what Christ did. So what bridges what he did to you this morning? How are they connected? The Apostle Peter gives us the answer when he says in verse 23, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. You see, we've been born again through the word of God. The new birth finds its source in the word. And as we consider this word, let us confirm as we did with love, it's not some sort of man-centered, earthly word, but it's a heavenly, holy, divine word. This word has been revealed to us from heaven. It has not been, it has not grown up from the imaginations of this world. And for this reason, since it's not defined by, fundamentally by this world, it will remain. It will abide. It will stand forever. This is the Apostle Peter's point when he speaks of it being uh, not perishable, but imperishable. When he describes it as living. If you have time later on today, you can look earlier on in the chapter, in verses 3 and 4, and how the Apostle Peter speaks of our living hope, speaking about our heavenly inheritance being imperishable, undefiled, unfading. He's speaking the same descriptions of his, the word here. It's a living and it's abiding. We'll stand. This word is rooted in heaven. And therefore, it is not subject to the decay, the decrease, the destruction of this world. It stands and will stand forever. Once again, this is the Apostle Peter's point when he quotes from the Old Testament from the book of Isaiah, when he says, all is like grass, and all of the grass, like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The word of the Lord remains. God's word, his living and abiding word, remains. This word will remain as our world crumbles around us. This word as our sole indestructible foundation of truth, therefore, must be central to all we do. It's this word. This word is, the, as the Apostle Peter says at the end of verse 25, 
It's this word that is the good news that was and is preached to you. So this word is, as we think about how the stability of a church, the stability of this church, stability of Cornerstone or any church in a world that is shaken and shocked, begins, the stability begins with this word being opened and preached each and every week to you. The stability of your own life in a world shaken and shocked begins by you opening and feeding upon this word each and every day. This word is the touchstone of truth in a world gone mad. But what I want to leave us with this morning, or what I want to stress is how the centrality of the word is very much the centrality of love. The word of God and our love of one another are not two unrelated categories of the Christian life. Rather, the flower of love begins with the seed of the word. That's where the word's going. That's where it's headed. That's what it's meant to produce in us. So God preaches his word. He reveals his word from heaven. And it's preached to our hearts and we are born again. We're given a new heart. We're given a new desire and ability to love and obey God. An expression of this new birth obedience is a sincere and earnest love of one another. And this love is an expression of Christ's love for the church. The Father's love for the Son. And it's this love that's going to win the nations. It's going to win your neighbors. As we proclaim and defend the gospel in this world. As we go back out into this world this week, let us remember, love is central, the new birth is central, the word is central. Amen. Lord, we, as your people, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God that speaks. And you've given us your word that will remain, that will stand forever. And it is our, very much our food and our foundation. And all that you would give us to that, Lord, your word. And so we pray that, Lord, it would produce love in our lives, a love for you and a love for each other, Lord. Oh, that we might know your love for us, we pray in your son's name. Amen.